Man, it is great to be here worshiping with you this morning. We serve the risen Savior, and all of God's people said, Man, there is one reason we are here today, to make much of the fame of the name of Jesus Christ. He is our King. He is our God. He is risen from the dead, and we have hope. And uh, I love that we have rallied together to make much of him. We have packed this place out. And uh, just a few chairs left in here. We have several hundred over in the 309. Shout out again to you guys. Love what you're doing. Thanks for your sacrifice. And we're worshiping with you, man. And, uh, and all of God's people said, Amen. love you guys. And uh, man, we are pulling this together from uh, multiple spots to make sure that Jesus Christ is center stage. And uh, so as we dive in here today, I just wrote down a quote, truth, truth, it is the collection of all things that are real, truth, this is right out of the dictionary, the collection of all things that are real, it, uh, it aligns with the facts, truth, in fact, we care so much about truth that uh, we get upset when things are said that aren't true. We fight for seeing the truth come out. If you look at our movies, pretty much every single movie we watch in some way, shape, or form brings out some struggle with finding the truth and bringing it out, maybe even bringing justice with it. There are huge um, storylines that are tied into truth. In fact, there are phrases that have become hugely famous out of the movies, like when one guy screams out, I want the truth! And the answer back was, you can't handle the truth, truth, right? And uh, just so you know, some even believe that truth can't really be handled by others. And so they try to manage things. And truth, scripture is super clear about the truth of Jesus Christ and him risen from the dead. And uh, yes, we can handle that truth. And uh, yes, it is super clear in Scripture, and so we're going to dive in today and look at the truth of Jesus Christ's resurrection. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And uh, we're going to look at the reality of the resurrection. It's going to take us a couple steps to get there, all right? So the first point, the first step, beware. Our hearts and minds will look for easy answers to the greatest miracle. Beware. Our hearts and minds will look for easy answers to the greatest miracle. See, we think very physically in our mindset. And uh, as we walk through our day-to-day, everything we see, we try to run through a filter of what we may have already experienced or what we know is, in quotes, normal. And beware. When we start using our mind... To set aside things that are said in Scripture, uh, we're going to have a little bit of issue. And so beware, our hearts and minds will look for the easy answer to the greatest miracle. Let's start in verse 1 here of chapter 20 in the Gospel of John. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So... She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. And we'll just hold right there. So Mary Magdalene, 
She's uh, kind of center stage here to start with. It says, now on the first day of the week, this is three days after Jesus has been crucified, three days after the Passover, and uh, Jesus has gone to the cross, his blood has been shed, his life has been given. And man, we better understand God had a plan. Everybody just say that with me. God had a plan. He knew exactly what he was doing, and from eternity past, it was set up that God the Son would step down to this world and that he would become sin for us. And in our fault, in our failure, in our sin, we owe a penalty, a payment. And hear me, there is no payment we can make that will ever allow us to come close to being able to earn our way to heaven. Just doesn't happen. Scripture's super clear. And our need for a Savior is at a maximum. There is nothing we can do on our own except count on him. And Jesus Christ, he went to the cross, and as he died at Calvary, his blood being shed, he was paying for our sin. And as we put our hope and faith in him, man, there can be new life in him as he covers our sin by his blood payment. And Jesus, he died for our sin. That's awesome. But that's not where it ends. And all of God's people said, and it doesn't end there. A couple of days later, Jesus ends up rising from the dead. And so it says here on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She was coming not aware of this truth. She was coming to take care of the moment there in front of the tomb where she could pay her last respects, where she could weep and cry and mourn for one that she loved who was lost. Remember Mary Magdalene, this is the sister of Lazarus. We looked at a story last week with Jesus in Bethany with Lazarus, a guy that he raised from the dead. And Mary Magdalene is Lazarus's sister. And uh, she's super close to Jesus. She's the one who ended up anointing his feet with a perfume and saying, you're my God. You're in charge. And that's Mary Magdalene. She came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She got up before sunrise. And just so you know, that means she was very dedicated. She was ready to lay it on the line and pour it out for Jesus Christ. She saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And uh, see, this happens a lot when we read scripture where we read it and we're like, okay, that's information. And, uh, but just so you know, let's think about this from a Jewish perspective, fully aware of what a tomb was. So this is a kind of a stone cave usually that was cut into so that they could put something inside. And then they would roll a stone that was bigger than me usually, usually took three to four soldiers, and they would roll that into place and it would lock down in, and then they would put stone around it, and they would seal it. In fact, we're told in a couple of other scriptures, they even had a guard placed so that nobody could move the stone. And when Mary showed up, the stone had been moved. And that's supposed to be this utterly shocking moment, right? This is like if you were talking to a friend, and they're like, I went out to the cemetery, and and it was dug up. Like, we would feel that. We would feel the hurt of that and the wonder in that. And it would cause you to gasp and take a breath. And, uh, and so you have a job to do now. As I read this passage, you're going to react the appropriate way. 
Ready? And so Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Exactly. Now you got it. All right. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She ran. Just so you know, there aren't many passages in Scripture that talk about someone running. It actually wasn't considered very classy. And uh, so when she's running here, there's statement being made. She's like, forget the social rules. I've got something to manage here. And so she runs. And she runs to go get Simon Peter, and I love this. And it says, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, just so you know, uh, this is actually John who's writing this, right? It's the Gospel of John. And he's writing about Peter and himself, right? He's writing about himself here. And so he's trying, <laughs> he's being a little bit, um, well, he's trying to be humble as he ends up not using his name, right? And he's like, she came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, you know, the one Jesus loved, <laughs> right? And, uh, and said to them, this is her statement, they have taken the Lord, our God, out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Mary, well, her mind and her heart went to obvious explanations in the physical. I don't know, man. Tomb's open, and uh, the only thing I can imagine is they, right? Don't you love when we have these explanations? Right? We get upset or frustrated by something. We're not sure what's going on, and we're like, well, they... They who? I don't know. They, right? Just leave it at that. They, all right? Not us, apparently. So they, right? And uh, they, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. They've, they've moved him. And I don't know what they've done with him. And what are they thinking? And why wouldn't they have told family and friends? And you guys, right? Peter and John, who are in charge of the disciples, they're kind of the leader of the crew, She's like, do something. They have not told us where they've laid him now. And this tomb is empty. And, uh, so when we see an empty tomb, uh, there's a couple of conclusions we can come to, right? And Mary came to one of those. Uh, well, maybe they moved him. I don't know who they is, but somebody else, and they must have. And uh, just so you know, society has tried to explain the resurrection away. They've seen the facts of the empty tomb. In fact, there's a lot of other facts about the resurrection as well. And we're going to talk about this in this series as we go on from here over the next weeks. But, uh, you know, society has tried to come up with a couple explanations. Here's a couple of explanations about how the tomb could have been empty. Ready? Here's one non-truth. Everybody say not this is not a truth, but this is one proposed solution to try to fix it with their head. Uh, the swoon theory. Jesus didn't really die. I'm going to be slightly disrespectful now. Uh, you know, it was kind of a hard day on the cross. We'll give him that. And, uh, and we understand that, you know, nails and blood and pain. And, but, you know, they didn't break his bones. And so, you know... Maybe he didn't die, and he's still alive, and so he got up after a couple days. I'm sorry. He got up after a couple days, and he was like, whoo! <laughs> that was a bad day. 
Uh, I'm going to move this stone that takes four men by myself after being crucified and laying in a grave for two days. I'm sorry, that's just not a very practical solution. Swoon theory. Uh, or here's another one, hallucination. You know, there's like 500 to 1,000 people who say they saw Jesus after he resurrected. They were all having mental problems. They're hallucinating. Maybe they're doing something, drinking something, smoking something. They're hallucinating. And mass numbers of people from all over the countryside in all different places, and they all have the same mental disorder on the same weekend, right? And uh, the hallucination theory. And uh, or here's another one, the conspiracy theory. And uh, Mary had a branch of that. She's like, I think the Roman soldiers or somebody like that took them. And, uh, but really, if it was the resurrection and the word started coming out that he had resurrected, wouldn't you kind of deliver up the body and be like, nope, 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 that was us. And, and we moved him. And so it's not really that. And so some have settled into the conspiracy theory of it's the disciples. They, they, they did it. They, they took his body and somehow got past all the Roman guard, moved the stone themselves. And then they took the body and they hid it. And they're living a lie. And they're willing to die for a lie. They're willing to build something off of a total lie. That, that's what I'm standing on. And I just want you to know that in every single one of these explanations, uh, in all the solutions, it does involve deception and it does involve a lie. Right? Swoon theory. Well, Jesus just kind of, ah, psych. I didn't really die. And right, it all, It's always about deception or someone lying. And just so you know, there is only one lie that we should actually be recognizing as a lie and embracing it at all, and that is when they say Jesus did not resurrect, that's a lie. And all of God's people said, man, he is risen, and these lies are ridiculous, and they're a joke, and the only one we're going to point to is the one that says he didn't resurrect from the dead. And we're going to continue to see truth, evidence, eyewitnesses throughout as we continue to walk. And man, hear me, the value of the resurrection. Why would Satan care to speak against this at all? The resurrection, it is the supreme validation of Jesus Christ's deity. It is the supreme validation of Jesus Christ's deity. And the resurrection, it is a triumphant and glorious victory for every single believer. Man, if you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, hear me, you get to say these words. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I know the author of life. I know the one who has conquered sin and conquered death. And he brings hope. His name is Jesus Christ. I believe in him with all I've got. And I will not be moved. There is victory in the name of Jesus Christ. He is risen. Amen. 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 Hear me. It is super important that we grasp the truth. And we understand the dangers of trying to come up with the easy answer. And... Uh, so, true story here. Um, there was a man who went into Africa. He went to go see the Victoria Falls. 
And uh, as he went out to see these falls, this water is plummeting from a very high distance. And as the water hits, the water just explodes up into this giant kind of mist. And it just covers the area. In fact, it's so thick that often it's like walking through a heavy cloud. and You can't really see. So as you're walking along this edge, kind of walking back towards the fall, and this mist is rising up, it gets to a point where you really can't see. You almost can't see your hand in front of your face. And the guy was like, so I was walking along this trail along the edge of a kind of a cliff edge there. And as I was walking along, all of a sudden I noticed something just a couple feet away, a little sign. And he stopped and he's like, what is that? And, and he could barely see because of the mist. And so he got down on one knee and he looks really close at it and he still can't read it. So he gets a little closer and he, now he can read it. It says, beware, the edge of this cliff is crumbling. And then you move back very carefully, right? And uh, super careful that we understand where we're walking. And uh, man, let me just say this. Beware. If you are toying with, eh, maybe the resurrection isn't true. Maybe Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. You are on the edge. And it is crumbling. Beware. Please hear me. Jesus Christ, he is risen from the dead. There is evidence galore recorded in scripture. There are eyewitnesses beyond. We're gonna be moving through a bunch of those over these next handful of weeks and we will be making much of the resurrection of our savior. We'll be looking at the facts revealed. Remember truth, it is the collection of things that aligns with the facts. Hey, where do you stand with the resurrection? Are you closer to the edge and near that sign that says beware? Or are you grasping and understanding, getting up against, away from it as far as you can, and celebrating the risen Savior with all you've got? Man, when it comes to dealing with the resurrection, the first step, beware. Our hearts and minds will always look for the easy answer. Dismiss them, man. It's a crumbling edge. Just believe the simple truth. He is risen, okay? Second, believe. Believe the empty tomb. The empty tomb calls for us to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. Believe. The empty tomb calls for us to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And uh, it says here, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Peter and John, they went on a journey here, right? Because really, when someone comes to you and they're like, the stone's rolled away, he's been moved, isn't your first step to be like, got to see this for myself, right? And so they pack it up, John and Peter, and they're going after it. It says they went out together toward the tomb. It says now in verse 4, both of them were running together. They were running. Remember, running is not socially cool. And so they're making a statement here. They're like, this matters, and we better get this looked at. And so they're running, both of them together. And then remember who the author here is. The author is John, and it's him and Peter. He says, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter <laughs> and, and reached the tomb first. You got to love that moment. 
where they get to the tomb, they have their moment. I'm sure at some point afterwards they were talking and John's like, dude, I'm just telling you, when I write my uh, gospel that's going to go in the Bible, I am still recording that I beat you, <laughs> right? And uh, I did, dude. I totally dusted you. True male moment as they're talking about who won the foot race and uh, thought it was super important that he record that. So uh, <laughs> John got to the tomb first. It says, and stooping to look in, he saw. Now, just so you know, there's going to be three different words for the word saw. So in our English here, we kind of lose a little bit of it. But in the original language in the Greek, there are three different words going on. This first one means he used his eyes and he took in what he could see. Okay? It's just the obvious seeing. The eyes are catching what's in front of him. And uh, it says, and stooping to look in, he, John, saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. He saw the linen cloths. This is what would have wrapped a dead body up, prepared them for the tomb. There would have been spices put on it. The linen would have been wrapped around and then laid over as well. He saw the very thing that would have wrapped Jesus up laying on the ground. This is not a moving of an individual. If you were going to move them from one tomb to another, you would leave them wrapped you would leave the spices on. You would leave all of that intact. In fact, you wouldn't even really want to touch it, but you would just to move it if you had to. You would leave it all together intact and move it to the next tomb and put it in there. Everything still as it was set when the person passed away. And, but that's not what happened here. The grave clothes are on the ground. Super important that we understand Jesus Christ got out of his grave clothes. And all of God's people said, Amen. and uh, he left the grave clothes on the ground. John saw that. And uh, stooping to see it, he looked in. That's because there's a little bit lower sort of entry into these caves. And so you have to stoop to kind of see in. And he could see the obvious sitting right near the front of the tomb. And uh, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Why? Well, because he's a good Jew. Because the reality is when you get near death, when you come near a dead body, you actually are declared unclean if you touch anything that has touched the dead body or you touch the dead body itself. Jewish law would make him unclean for the next seven days if he went in there and touched. Remember, Passover was just a couple days ago. They're in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this giant week-long celebration. If he goes in and touches, he is declared unclean. He needs to remove himself outside of the celebration and away from the temple. It'll pull him out of everything going on for the next week. He would be declared unclean if he went in. And so, being a good Jew, he does not go in. He uses his eyes. He takes in what he saw. And he stands there hanging on by the front of the tomb. It says, then Simon Peter came, following him. Have I told you that I beat him to the tomb? I don't know if I told you that. Let me just make sure I get that clear. He was following me, right? And uh, this is John just having a moment, being super clear about the order of who came and when they came. Peter, following John, went into the tomb. Okay. So again, a good Jew would not approach where the dead bodies are. That would be a ghastly thing to do. And so when you hear this, it should cause you 
to take a deep gasp. And so you have a job to do. All right? Here we go. Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. Exactly. Now you got it? He, Peter, saw the linen. Now this is a very different word. This saw, it means he beheld attentively. He looked at the details around him. He began to be almost a private detective. What is going on here? He's not just looking. He's now thinking. He's attentively evaluating the stuff he's seeing, and he's looking for the details around. It says that he saw the linen cloths lying there. Well, that's the same thing that John saw, right? And so we have two different people who have seen the linen cloths laying on the ground. Jesus not in the grave clothes. Everybody say, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And we have two eyewitnesses to the grave clothes on the ground. Jesus not in those grave clothes. He saw the cloths lying there. And, everybody say, and. And a face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up but folded up. It says he folded it and laid it in a place by itself. Now, that's a very purposeful moment going on. And you're going to have to envision, we have no statement of what it was like as Christ came back to life in his body, but somehow in the midst of coming alive in this tomb, he ends up sitting up, taking off cloths, laying them down on the ground, and taking what was on his head And very purposefully and intentionally folding it up and setting it aside. Jesus set aside and folded up the cloth and the other cloths laying on the ground. And uh, We don't know the details of it. It's not recorded in detail, but we can see that John used his attentiveness. He's like, well, where's the face cloth? That should be here too. And... Okay, now hang on. Now it's folded up. It's not like somebody just ran in here and tore things off. And, and It's very purposefully and intentionally laid aside. And, uh, Jesus is making a statement just with the folded cloth. There are witnesses who've seen it. It says, Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, I don't know if I mentioned that I... I won in that race. Uh, Three times over, man, that was really important to him, that he was like sold out for getting there first, right? And uh, it says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, well, he went in. He saw. And here's the third word for saw. This word means to perceive and understand. This word is very different. It means not only is your head involved, but your whole heart is involved. You're grasping what's going on. He now perceived the depths of it, and he understood. It says, and believed. Everybody say, that's a big deal. So John, who won the foot race to the tomb who saw the cloths laying on the ground, ended up coming in with Peter and now seeing the face cloth folded in the edge on the side, 
and now he perceives. His position is not, who took him? Where did they put him? That is not his position. Everybody say not. He's like, oh, oh, do you know what's going on here? Peter, do you get what's going on here? He's not taken. Dude, he's not taken. He's alive. He didn't just die on the cross. He has risen from the dead. And all of a sudden, all the things that Jesus said started rushing back to him. All the words he had heard where Jesus was like, do you see this temple in three days? I will be restoring this temple. And they're like, how do you rebuild the whole temple in three days? That's the best Jewish accent I got. And they're like, how do you? How do you rebuild that in three days? That's ludicrous. But he was speaking of his own body. They began to understand. He knew what was going on. Jesus Christ, he had told them of the death and the resurrection. This is the hope. He believed that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He believed. Do you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He sees the cloths laying on the ground. He sees the face cloth set aside, folded intentionally, and he has all the words of Jesus that he's now tapping into and remembering all the scriptures that he has heard that are beginning to make it real. It says, for as yet, they did not understand the scripture. Right up till that point, they weren't sure what was going on with all the scriptures. They weren't clear how it was going to be resolved. And uh, I actually wrote down a couple of the scriptures that they ended up leaning on. Psalm 1610. Psalm 1610. It says, speaking of the Messiah, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Man, they wrestled with that passage for centuries. What does this mean that he's never going to die? How does a human being not die? What is this going to mean? And, and then they're like, Jesus is the Messiah. And then he died. And they're like, Psalm 16 isn't coming true. What does this mean? And, but when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, and there is no corruption seen, and he is living, and there is hope, and there is life in him, and in his glorified body, Jesus Christ resolves Psalm 16.10. He is the Messiah. He is the Holy One. And He is not just dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And all of God's people said, Psalm 16.10. Here's another one, Isaiah 53.12. Talking again about the Messiah. He will divide His spoils with the strong because He has poured out His soul unto death. If you look at the tense of that, he's poured out his soul into death, and then he's dividing the spoils. How, how, does, how does that work? What's going on with that? And how in the world can that be resolved? And if he's dead, how can he pass out? Okay, so somebody else passes out the spoils? Is that? But that's not what it says. It says he divides out the spoils, and they never could answer that. But if he's resurrected from the dead, the scripture is answered. See, there's something that they didn't know, and that is that the Messiah was not just a human being. 
the Messiah, God himself, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Yes, he died, his physical flesh for you and for me. Yes, he is risen from the dead, alive, bringing hope, and he is able to hand out the spoils of victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There is nothing that holds us back as we trust in Jesus Christ. Nothing. And the scripture began to rock John's soul. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine being able to stand in the tomb where Jesus was? And you're seeing the cloths laying on the ground. You're seeing the head covering set aside. You're hearing the words of Jesus coming back through. Do you see this temple? It will be rebuilt in three days. He's like, well, hey, right? Every single detail starting to make sense. And all the hope of the Messiah from the past starting to tie together. And your heart starts to beat fast. And now you stand with Peter and you're like, Duty is risen. He's alive. There is hope. Our Savior has conquered death. He is risen. Can you imagine that moment between him and Peter as they get it amped up? And I love what it says. He said, uh, as yet they had not understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. <laughs> Bring it back down a little. We just went back home. We had some things to ponder. We had some people to share with. We got some stuff to tell, and we're making some conclusions, and we're stunned with what we're seeing. Jesus Christ, he is risen from the dead. Man, hear me. Over these next weeks, we are going to be walking through a series that takes a look at the truth of the resurrection. And there are witnesses beyond witnesses beyond witnesses. Hey, when you go into a court of law and we're looking to verify what the truth is, what do we do? We get some, we get some witnesses and we get them up on the table, on the chair, and we hear from them. We ask them questions and we get answered back and we look for the corroborating evidence between witnesses. And I'm telling you, we've heard from two or three today. And they have yet to have met the risen Savior, but they're seeing the facts laying around it and the scripture that spoke of it beforehand, and they're already stirred to belief. Man, we are going to pour into some scriptures that look at the eyewitnesses who met Jesus Christ after his resurrection. He is risen from the dead. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, our hope, our Lord and Savior, is not just pulling a fast one over on people, but he is risen? And that is our hope with all we've got. And uh, I'm just going to say this. In his death, it's his blood for mine. It's his death for mine. We get forgiveness of sins by the blood shed on the cross. We get a cleansing of conscience, a transforming of the soul. We talked a lot about that on Good Friday night here as we 
uh, packed out two services to celebrate his work for us on the cross. But in his resurrection, in his resurrection, there is declaration that he is God Almighty. In his resurrection, there is a declaration of victory over death. Man, we have hope of life eternal. We have hope in our King, Jesus Christ. And hear me, Scripture's super clear. Not only has he died, not only has he risen, he has ascended into the heavenlies. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. What difference does that make? It means the work is done. The judging hand of the Father, and he is sitting down. It is finished. And Jesus Christ, now risen and ascended, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is waiting for the time of return. And man, when he returns, it is going to be something amazing. As the King of kings and Lord of lords comes roaring into this place, amen. Man, Jesus Christ, he is King of kings. Say it with me. He is what? Man, he is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is what? That was weaker, man. Say it bigger. He is what? Amen, man. He is Lord of lords. And as he comes roaring in on his white horse, there is one weapon to be had. His spoken word. Revelation 19. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is in charge. God Almighty. He has died for us. He has risen for us. And it is truth. And all of God's people said... Amen, man. It is our job to worship him with all we've got and make much of his glorious name. Man, we're going to have the worship team coming out here, and we're going to move to one song closeout, speaking of his reigning as king. But here's the deal. We have a job to do, both in this room and in the 309. Shout out 309. Hear me. We have a job to do. You guys represent that room well. We're going to represent this room well. Our job is to lift him up in praise. Massive celebration. Here's where it's going to go down. At the end of the song, as the song is coming to a close, I mean the loudest celebration you've ever given Christ in your life. He is alive. He has brought you victory. He is your hope. He is your savior. Cheering out, clapping out, crying out. This is what you've done for me. Whatever it is you want to say, make much of your savior. Loud applause at the end of this song. When? At the end of this song, lift this roof off. And all of God's people said?